Hi, David Rogers. How are you? Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. I'm fine. Thank you. Good. Um, now, you are the sort of owner, head guy of the Rising Crane uh, School. Can you just tell us a little bit about um, what, what you do at your school or what you teach? Well, my school ran for 25 years up to um, the COVID times, and it was a full-time centre where we taught Kung Fu Tai Chi and MMA. And um, that ran. I also had a clinic of uh, Chinese acupuncture. That's been my full-time job basically forever. Um, and then I decided I wanted to go to, to China for another longer trip, a long, longer study period. So I um, closed my school uh, a couple of years ago. And of course, COVID hit exactly at that time. Yeah. So since then, I've been running my school online, um, basically gone, moved to the coast, just concentrating on my own training, teaching a, a lot less at the moment than I used to. We used to have a very busy center. So things yeah. are in a kind of a holding pattern at the moment. But the plan is when the travel opens up to do some more extended uh, travel for, for studying and then uh, possibly reopen a, another full-time center, but I'm not sure yet. Wow. I didn't know you did acupuncture as well. Yes. Yes. Wow. Graduated from uh, College of uh, Integrated Chinese Medicine, uh, 94. Yeah. And the, the martial arts you mainly do, I, I think it's Tai Chi and Hop, is it Hopgar? Yeah, that's right. Hopgar. Hop I just say it. Hop-ga. Oh, it's Hopgar in Cantonese, Hopgar. Right. Okay. But I think what happened was the, um, there was a book produced in America in, I think, the 70s. And mm-hmm. I think in the American um, accent, if you put H-O-P, they kind of pronounce it hop, which is fairly close. But then when the English people read it, they say hop, which is not so correct. Which is not close, yeah. I think, yeah. I think probably H-A-P is a better romanization. Yeah, I've seen it done both ways, H-A-P yeah. and H-O-P. Yeah. Sure, I mean, um, whatever. Yeah. And it's quite interesting because, I mean, I, I studied uh, Choi Fat or Choi Lei Fat, as, uh, as some people say it, um, you know, back in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Habgar is very, to me, it looks very similar. And I yeah. believe it's a bit of a blend of Choi Lei Fat and something Tibetan. Is that right? Oh, that's difficult to say. I think because it came from the same area as Choi Fat. Now, Choi Fat yes. was three styles combined, right? Choi Ga, Li Ga, and Fat Ga. Fat means Buddha. So the kind of the general accepted history, they say that that comes from, that is the Shaolin roots. Yeah. There's also another theory that the Fat Ga monastery was the Tibetan, well, they call it Hengwanji, the uh, monastery in the Guangzhou area that Hap Ga came from. They may have had the same, the same background. Because certainly yeah. their um, their seed hand techniques are the same as ours, mm. but there's, there's no um, history as far as I'm aware that the Wang Anlam or the Hapgar lineage studied Cholefat. I think they probably come from a, a root uh, style. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because mm. I recognise you know when when I see you doing techniques, um, mm. I, I recognise them like individual techniques. Certainly, uh, are like that's exactly the same. But then there's also something different about it as well. There's something yes. that's got a slightly different flavor. Correct. So the, the it's mainly the fighting theory is different, but the hand techniques are the same. So gua cup, chap, lam, bin, pao, those are the sort of main mm. techniques that are common to both systems. Um, but the talifat tend to fight with this one side forward with the body turned to the side, kind of bladed. And yeah, uh, yeah. Hup, Hup can tend to use chiama, working the angles 
more at 45 degrees, I would say is a gem generally true. But they, one thing they have in common is they both have the full extension and use of the reach of the arms and the, the kind of extreme waist turning for power generation. That's something that's common to both styles. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's what I, that's what I noticed mainly is, mm. yeah, the, 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 the massive rotation and yeah. for the full extension of the limbs. Right. Um, and I've heard a lot of people say to me that, oh, well, obviously, when you use it, you do it smaller. But um, I, I don't think you do. I think <laughs> I think you are meant to use it at yeah. full. Like, like the, the sure. up, like, like power choy is a, mm -hmm. it's essentially an uppercut, uppercut but it's like uppercut. a, big uppercut isn't it it's like yeah. it's coming from miles away so there's a couple of things about that that we have certain movements which are meant to be exercises so for example in pao choy there's a common technique called guideng pao choy uh, which is done holding onto weights and throwing the weights over your head and then yeah, yeah, pause, yeah. pausing at the top to kind of develop the shoulder flexibility posterior chain so that mm. that is an example of a technique where it's used differently to how it is in real fighting so that is really a specifically an exercise but the one uh called zhugeng pao choy which is the the one that's also used in toilet fat yeah how we, how you see it is how it's done um but of course mm -hmm. the follow through the, the the actual impact part could be low for example to the groin or to the yeah. body or to the chin and following through so it has a big range of motion um but yeah i agree mm -hmm. with you the idea of oh in real fight we make it smaller i don't know about that and and one of the things that to me is really telling is if you watch a competition like a mixed martial art competition as opposed to a boxing match where the person has to has to defend <clears throat> excuse me defend the legs defend the takedowns the low kicks and so on so you see a, a slightly longer range and a slightly more extended bridge and a lot of those punches you see thrown in mma if you freeze frame them they look exactly the same i don't i don't they, they look more like hubgar toilet than they look like classical boxing yeah, uh, yeah it's absolutely very, yeah i mean very I, I've, I've i've noticed this loads of times that you know you, you're watching it normally it's like a knockout blow as well mm -hmm. um and you think well that was a trolley fat technique yeah. this, <laughs> there's, there's no there's no doubt you know you can't you can't there's no doubt kind of because what i think is those movements are primal movements so it's not that oh yeah. that that guy must have studied trolley fat oh you're saying that they're using hupgar techniques literally I, I don't think that's the case but i think what happens is that the body moves in certain ways and these are the kind of natural primal movements. Now in boxing, they, they try to change that to, to be kind of non-telegraphic and it's more efficient within a, uh, a smaller defensive sphere, if you like. So it makes sense. Um, but when you, when you change the rules, for example, to MMA or in a kind of a multiple attack type of thing, then it'll naturally will go back to those kind of movements. I think it's uh, just you yeah. see, it's the same movement you see in athletics, a tennis serve, a golf swing, a baseball bat. Yeah. These, these are, these are, if you look at sports coaching in those areas, they're remarkably similar to how we learn the Hopkin in China. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and remarkably similar to um, what my Charlie Fat teacher taught me was, was, you know, the, the, these, these are big moves and yeah. you use them just as, just you use them just as we train them. There's no difference, you know. Well, sure. And people have this idea as well that long, also long movement must equal long range. But if you look at, for example, uh, wrestling, you'll see a lot of long movements that are done at very close range. So it's not always true that, like, for example, in the Wing Chun, they'll say, because it's closer range, the power generation is shorter. Whereas in Hukun, yeah. the power generation is longer, must be further away. That's not necessarily true. These big movements can be used for like, uprooting, throwing, dumping. So, yeah, if you, yeah, if, you, if you're using them for grappling type thing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, you, if you're 
you know, if your arm's underneath a leg and you're lifting right. it up in the air, then that's a big movement, isn't it? It's no... going to look the same as the form. It's naturally yeah. going to look that way, yeah. They're also very um, pleasing to do, I find. Um, yeah. Like, I can, I can practice Tai Chi and I get mm-hmm. a certain sense, a certain feeling from it yep. and a certain exercise of the body. Yep. But then when I then go on to practice Chole Fut, and I'm I'm using the full the full range the full extension. Um, it it definitely it gives you something you don't get from anything else, which I, which I quite like. I agree. Um, yeah. May I ask what what style of Tai Chi do you do? Oh, so we do uh, it's Yang style essentially, mm-hmm. but it's a weird um, subdivision of Yang style um, called. I think in America they call it Ku style or Gu style, and um, named after Guru Zhang. Or Ku Chang, depending on whether you say it, Cantonese or Mandarin. Right. King of Iron Palm, the guy that was famous for Northern Shaolin. Right. Um, very skinny guy, but hard as nails. You know right. that that sort of. Um, yeah, he was he was and he and he um, cross chain trained with Tam Sam of Choi ah, Fat boxing, boxing Choi Fat, and that's how the boxing Choi Fat got into our lineage. Interesting. Um, and he was the one who was famous for. Um, breaking that big stack of bricks with his palm. Um, I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. So his style of Tai Chi, right, right. Um, which had some input from Sun Lutang mm. and had some input from him, and but it's, it's based on the Yang pattern. Sure. Yeah. I think at that the, time... The angles are a little bit different and some of the applications are a bit different, you know. Yeah, because everyone puts their own fighting experience into it, don't they? Well, yeah. They ought to, anyway. I think Tai Chi at that time was like a postgraduate course. It was like you'd already knew how to fight. You were just internalizing, refining your body movement and so on. And I don't think people will learn those forms for the purpose of learning to fight from scratch. You know, it was more of a sort of say a postgrad thing. So you could usually tell like Sun Lu Tang having a Zingi Bagua and so on. You could tell the person's fighting preferences by how they perform the Tai Chi. So some people would put much more of a grappling emphasis or a striking emphasis or so on in it. Um, and I think it was a lot closer and there was a lot more cross training and swapping going on at that time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In this, in this yeah, day, I think it was make it out that these are like lineage that go back thousands of years. And that's yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah. no, and also this idea of, um, of, of keeping secrets, uh, yeah. you know, like, I mean, there are, you know, obviously there were, China's a huge place. Some stars would have been kept very secret and away yeah. from other people, but certainly ours was not, you know, and Q, Q Chang was, he was the original mixed martial artist. You know, he, oh. he, he trained everything, anything, anyone he met who was any good, he, he learned their style, you know, and uh, just carried um, on that way. Where I studied in, in Guangzhou and Canton, the, 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 the 10 tigers of Canton is the famous kind of story. And those guys mm. were the same. They were like learning from each other, swapping techniques. And they had a much more of a mindset, which is probably similar to modern MMA guys than the modern traditional guys that have this kind of very narrow view. Um, which I don't think goes back. That's pretty. That's pretty new. That idea. Yeah, I think it's a modern idea that pretends mm. to be an ancient idea. Exactly. I, I completely. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. 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 I think though. I mean, there's some some idea about. I mean, you've done Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so obviously when the UFC first started, and you had people that had never seen a double leg takedown, rear naked choke, even they were a world class kickboxer, they'd still get beaten in seconds. So there is a a truth to the fact that if you really don't know something and you don't have an idea how to counter it, it's going to beat you. So that if they kept that yeah. secret, they had to kept that secret, you'd still have people now that would lose to a 
BJJ blue belt, you know, that because they just didn't know. But once the cat's out of the bag, I mean, now everyone's cross training and then we've absorbed some of the, the ideas from it. And so it's different now. If someone's like you're, you're, you're doing, you know, striking from the top and the person's trying to get a triangle, you know what they're going for. So you're countering it and you're posturing it because you're yeah. aware, you know what they know. So the idea of a secret, I mean, there was a time, you know, my Sifu said, you know, if they know everything you know, then it's going to come down to conditioning and athleticism and fighting experience and all that kind of stuff. Or if they really don't know, then you can get away with, uh, <laughs> with some secret knowledge with something they, you know, that they're not even in the house yeah. to counter. I mean, within- yeah, like, like um, South Troy off Troy is is a is a great one that I mean, a lot of people still don't know that, right? And, and like, if you just get hit with it out of the blue, you 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 wouldn't even, yeah, because it comes at a weird angle, yeah, and and it's and it, if it hits your head, you've had it. <laughs> so Chuck so was the first MMA fighter I was aware of that used that. Yes, some of his yeah, and Roy Nelson, uh, that yeah, Roy, Roy Nelson. Big Country Nelson, More like yeah. a cup, cup Choy, but yeah, the. Yeah. The um, when they first people first saw them, and then of course, if you're aware of it, it's not the hardest thing in the world to to defend. But if you're not aware of it, then you you, you don't yeah you don't get out of the way. That's the top tip. <laughs> don't try and block it because it will just yeah. smash into your face. You know, first rule of hop guys evade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't want to be blocking those things. Mm -mm. Um, oh, reminds me of a I met, I met it with a taekwondo guy once who mm -hmm. who um we, we were just training some stuff in the park and he he, he just wanted to learn some things with me and i i i, I was just showing him a few things i showed him sao Choi, right and he goes what like would that work and i went <laughs> yeah i think so and he goes okay and he put his hand up in a in a taekwondo like that sort of yeah sort of karate style block up. go on then oh, wow. and i was like i was like really you, no. you want me to just to South Troy into your arm, mm -hmm. so <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. You can tell what happened. His arm, his arm was immediately went smack back into his forehead. Um, I mean, that really and he regretted his decision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really someone doesn't doesn't understand like martial arts. Really, I don't mean to be mean, but it's like if the same, the same. It's not just the South Choi. It's any power technique where you, you you put a static thing in front of it to break. Yeah, I mean, if, you, yeah. if you've got a Thai boxer in front of you showing you a round kick. And you hold your shin <laughs> as a shin block and just let him kick it. That's way yeah. different from timing. You know, as he kicks, you're trying to preempt it or cut it off. Or you can stop a pal a, a sal choy if you're you crash into it before it generates full force. Yes, that, yeah, that's that it. One, there are ways, but if you just hold your arm out, hold your arm up. And <laughs> really well, I, 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 I said to him, look, are you really sure? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not. Not the smartest. And he, he thing. insisted that I, and it became like a thing where he insisted I did it, so I had yeah, to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> So when you see like in amateur boxing, you'll see you know young kids, twelve years old or whatever, and then they're they're keeping their hand up, listening to their coach, and they get hit on the nose a couple of times, and then they lose it, and then they mm. start throwing sal choys because it's it's primal, right? It's the most basic. It's it, it, it's our intuitive like we know that's the most powerful movement. The difference yeah, is yeah. that the difference is that when you're unskilled and just throwing them, it's, they're really easy to see. They're very telegraphed. You're usually <laughs> yeah. off balance. You throw it and then you lose your balance. Yeah, you fall over. <laughs> fall over. So you need to train it. So my Sifu says that if you're going to use that technique anyway, when you get adrenalized, you might as well do it skillfully. Yeah. You might as well learn how to do it properly, right? How to how to keep your balance, how to throw it with power without you know leaving yourself open, follow-ups and so on. So it's a matter of it might not be the world's most 
uh, sneaky or efficient technique, but it is powerful, very powerful. And you have to, yeah. as part of your repertoire with other techniques, um, it's, 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 it's a good finishing, isn't it? The boxers say lead with speed and devour with power. I think that's a good, <laughs> that's a good advice. Yeah, nice. Um, so you, you've done a bit of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu yourself, haven't you? Mm. How did well, that go? Yeah, great. I mean, I, I um, so I've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. What happened was, I, we were making the transition from competing in Chinese martial art tournaments, and I wanted to move to mixed martial arts because it seemed like yeah. a fairer uh, test. You know, you didn't know who you were going to be fighting, and it was a big challenge. I mean, it was it. it it took us a while, research and development, but you know, we, we ended up with with quite a few um, amateur. I never coached professionals, but in the amateur world, we did pretty well. We had a, a number of champions, British champions, and so on. But there was a point where, obviously, I was aware that there was things lacking that I'd studied. You know, the standing grappling and all the, the Chinese martial arts, and on the ground, we'd done like the Chinese ground fighting, so things like sweeps, up kicks, and punching down, but not really the intricacies of like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They, they took it a lot a lot further. So somebody said there was, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Bralio Estima, and he yeah. was based in Birmingham, which was just like a couple of hours from me. <clears throat> Someone said, this is when he was first come to the country. Oh, you should train with this guy. He's going to be, yeah, he's going to be something. <laughs> yeah, he was, right? Six yeah, times, he was, yeah. Six times world champion. So I, I drove to him. And this is how kind of ignorant I was at the time. I just said, look, um, I'm not interested in putting on a gi. I just, I, I, I'm coaching some guys who are going to do MMA competition. Could you teach me no gi? And he was like, yeah, no problem. So he was like, yeah, fine, come along. So I said, so what do I do? And he goes, well, first thing he said was, well, just, let's just roll. So I said, okay, yeah. so what, does, what is that exactly? You know, he goes, <laughs> just, just don't hit me. So my brain's going, not hit you. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not hitting you, right? So I thought, oh, I'll play. And, and obviously, the you can guess what happened. I mean, it's like you're just yeah. tap, tapping out every five seconds or whatever. So I thought, okay, this is some skill. This is some real skill here um, that I'm lacking. And so I ended up just going to him for private. So I did it for quite a few years, on and off for mm. nine years. But um, there was a, a few. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a few years where I was fairly consistently training with him. But um, I never did. But I was no gi. I never did a gi, never got any ranking, wasn't yeah, yeah. any jujitsu competitions. What it was, was just, it was the, I'd learn the stuff and then I'd in integrate or try to figure out how it would integrate into what I was teaching. And eventually I put together an actual mixed martial art curriculum. So we had uh, obviously the submissions, submission defenses and the escapes and the passes and so on that yeah. I'd learned from Braulio, but I don't claim to be a, a BJJ teacher. But there was a time when I was, you know, fairly doing it fairly frequently. And I, you know, I was, had some reasonable grappling skill, but obviously since COVID, I mean, I've not done any grappling. So I'm sure my yeah. timing and sensitivity is rusty as heck, but I would like to. I mean, yeah, sadly, yeah. Back into I may My even expensive. do the gi stuff in the future. I may even put the gi on in the future as a, as a nice thing to study for my own development, not interested because I'm no longer coaching fighters and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would be an interesting challenge. So I, I respect it hugely, but it was just not something at that time I was doing the Taiji. I was doing the Hapgar. I was coaching MMA, running a school, running a clinic. I didn't have the, the time to really do justice to, to the jujitsu. So I don't claim to be any kind of a jujitsu expert, but I had a good insight into it. Obviously I ended up going to, I've rolled with a number of world champions and and, and done, you know, uh, classes, no-gi classes with some, like, the competition squad. And so I know what really good people feel like and how, how it yeah. works. And 
the sort yeah. of the idea of it. So I have some insight, but I was never uh, it was never my my major study. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you've I don't know gi as well because I mean I, I only do it with the gi, um, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of the older people tend to gravitate more towards gi. I understand um, why. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, just a bit, a bit. It's a bit more controlled and a bit slower. And uh, the twenty-year-olds can't just run at you and keep the pace going. You can slow them down with the. Yeah, with friction. But I mean, it, I didn't want to see what I was interested in. Was I was interested in fighting, like, the essence of the fight itself. In, in, in yeah, in yeah. Of, at that time, it was the MMA cage. Obviously, in the UK, if you're getting into a self-defense scenario, it's the winter. There's probably going to be coats learning grips and stuff like that is going to be useful skills so i'm not doubting that but for what we were training for at that time again it's the only so many hours to train in the day <clears throat> and i didn't see the point in teaching and learning stuff that we'd have to change radically when mm. when we were adding strikes in so i i kind of started the other way around i was like oh, what stuff fits in and doesn't require us to change what we're already pretty good at and so it was yeah, done yeah. with that kind of an angle so again i know it's not classical jiu-jitsu i'm not claiming that but it, it worked and we you know we got some good results so yeah the other bit of the, the gi thing is that is that it, it it makes my brain work harder mm -hmm. um because the gi is like a weapon so it's like it's it's like weapons training to me yep training the gi which you know i always find that when you're doing weapons training with stand-up uh, with with swords or spears it, it always makes your brain kind of work a bit harder and, and figure things out i don't know maybe that's just me but no i think that's exactly right because it's a relationship thing. there's like something else in the equation and you're trying to figure yeah out. There's, there's an extra thing in there that you yeah. have to take account of which is I get, I get it it's just that uh in my opinion if you have two guys who've got so many hours a day to train and the way I oh taught, yeah yeah the way i taught for an mma competition was was optimal because it's like this is how we're going to fight so this is we're going to break everything down into the environments as you would find them so you need to be able to make sure you could defend strikes from every position defend submissions from every position get to your feet work off the cage wall and all this kind of stuff and didn't it wasn't really didn't make sense to do a deep dive into the mechanics of gi strangling because it simply wasn't <laughs> the environment that we were training for yeah I, I, it's, it's probably a huge waste of time um yeah if, if you're going if you're doing it for mma then yeah then why, why, why put an obstacle in your way, you know? No yeah, point. I think the main question is, well, why, why do we do what we do? Because there's so many answers to that. And because everyone's coming at it from a different angle and people are arguing incessantly on the internet about, you know, who's right and who's wrong. But it, it's really down to, if it works for you, if it's why you're training, you need to find your, your reason. And then, of course, now I no longer train fighters, so I'm, I'm really doing a lot more of my traditional practice. And um, Yeah, so, so what, what, is your, like, what is your personal training these days look like then? I'm still training the Hapgar and the Taiji. And then I'm also doing my own, you know, uh, strength training, stretching, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. long walks around the area, um, just exploring. And yeah, getting into, really getting into meditation and uh, stuff that I haven't had the time to devote to because of running a full-time school. There are certain aspects of the Hapgar that I never really got deeply into. Again, just not... Mm. If students don't get to a certain level and you're not teaching it all the time, then mm. you're not developing, right? So this this last year I've been able to spend a lot, a lot of time. I'm spending most of my time training, studying, meditating, practicing. And I feel like in certain areas I've gone deeper than I than I could before. So um yeah, so a typical day for me, I'll train twice. 
I'll do either a, well, I'll do my sort of Qigong Tai Chi. So I may do like the Tai Chi form. I also do some uh, Hong Kun as well as the Hop Kun. So like the Iron Wire form and the uh, Yang Yang style long form. And then in the in the Hop Gar, we've got my Sifu's Tai Chi, which is called the Min Noi Jam, which is the needle in cotton, which is my Sifu's own interpretation of that, <clears throat> which has three sets, which he's developed over about the last 25 years. Um, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, get into that more and doing a lot more of that kind of practice. And in the afternoon, I'll do some uh, some kettlebells or some seki pie or some conditioning. Um, so yeah, but it's not it's not as intense as I used to train. But there's more. It's longer, so I have more time. Yeah. more time for it. So I'm enjoying my practice at the moment, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I I've I've been for periods of my life where I've taught people, where mm. I haven't taught people, right? And uh, I have rather selfishly enjoyed. <laughs> a lot of the time where I haven't been teaching people um, just because it's time for you, isn't it? Rather than time for somebody else, which is, which is nice. If you can, if you can make that time. Um, it is. I mean, obviously the advantage of running a, running a full-time school is that you're going over all the material every day. Yeah. Hours and hours and hours of basics, fundamentals. So that really helped, really helped me. But then there were certain aspects that I wasn't getting chance to practice you can't really teach you can only teach people up to the where they where they've got to so um having that extra time then to say right i'm going to focus on some other things for a while um but i, I must admit i'm starting to get the itch to teach again now it's been, <laughs> been like a well it's two years since the school closed down and i've gone i've done some seminars and courses and taught workshops and so on and i teach online but I'm I'm getting the itch to get some students and because I I get a lot of um, satisfaction in seeing the light bulbs and seeing people making jumps and that really that's really where i get my satisfaction in, in my work is like when i it was all about taking like in mma i have zero interest in big tough professional fighters right but if you can take a, a nice person polite you know decent guy wouldn't say boo to a goose and then in two years getting in a cage and beating people and winning belts that's like to me i feel like a real sense of satisfaction from that and same thing if you get somebody in the Taiji who's maybe an older person who's injured and can't move. And then within a year, they're moving really well and they're pain free or, you know, and that's, uh, yeah, I get a lot. I get a lot of uh, satisfaction from seeing people mm. improving like that. So I'm, I'm missing that. Um, I guess I've got to look for the, the balance. You know, before I was really busy. Now I should look for a midpoint, I think. Yeah, especially now that, I mean, obviously COVID's still around, but it seems like the world is going back to normal a bit more now. I really hope so. I'm waiting for China to open up and there's no signs of that at the moment. But um, No, because they're going for the zero COVID policy, aren't they? So Yeah. yeah. That's a tough one. <laughs> with that, yeah. yeah, I've got friends in China who are, um, every now and again, everything gets locked down. For mm. 10 days and they have to stay in there they literally have to stay in their apartment and mm -hmm. there's an app that if you go outside your apartment this app will alert the authorities that you've done it you know it's yeah. they, they take it really seriously though and not like british lockdowns you know china. Like, no china's communist lockdown is slightly different <laughs> yeah. yeah well people know that they there's there's real consequences if they break the rules and you know yeah or better or worse i mean i'm not getting into the politics of it, but it is a very different environment, that's for sure. Yeah. And I so really want to go there to see my teacher and my Gong Fu. Yeah, family. I was going to say, your, your teacher's 
in China, isn't he? Yeah, he's 76 years old, you know, and I haven't seen him for two years. And it's like, argh. apart from, yeah. you know, on social media where we, you know, I'm sending him videos and we're chatting and I'm asking him questions, but it's, it's not the same. No, especially now you've, when you've got the time now to get out there and um, yeah. see him, but just not the opportunity. Not the opportunity, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so obviously you've 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 done a lot of work with traditional Chinese martial arts, a lot of work mm. with sporting MMA, yeah, um, all that kind of stuff. So, how how do you think the world of Chinese martial arts is at the moment um, in terms of um, how well their martial arts stack up and how well they're doing. Um, and is there anything that needs to change, do you think? Well, I tried to be a part of the change and I did my bit for some years, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> the more I, the longer I train and the more I do, the less I really think <laughs> I know what, what's going on. Um, I did feel for a time, I mean, I, I certainly feel in the old days, these guys were always challenge matching and competing and fighting. So, the, the, then there was this period where it was just people were just learning their forms and the routines. No one was sparring, fighting skill dropped. So it's like you, we needed to bring that back. We need an MMA seemed like a good venue because it was minimal rules. In, that, in traditional Chinese Kung Fu, which is kicking, striking, wrestling, seizing, and ground. And MMA is the only combat sport that has all of those. So it's like you can't really have an excuse that, oh, I couldn't use my Kung Fu because I had big gloves on or I wasn't allowed to grab. It's like, well, there's no more excuses. You know, you can either, you can use it or you can't. It's a, it was a great opportunity, especially like this. So I guess this would be like late nineties, early two thousands. And we kind of really wanted to be on the ground floor of that. And as it developed, it's turned into something now, obviously it's a big sport and it's a big money thing. And it's turned into something that I'm not particularly a fan of in terms of the culture of it. But as far as the actual, um, training methods and the, and the uh, incorporating striking grappling see mma people had to kind of piece them together put them into one chinese yeah. martial art it all grew very organically so they never separated it so that to me is the strength of chinese martial arts the synthesis you're not going into a wrestling mode a jiu-jitsu mode a kickboxing mode you know there's no there's no problem with unbalancing someone and hitting them or you know uh, throwing them into a joint lock or whatever it doesn't have that kind of compartmental thinking and the, mm. the the way all the movements flow together was really, really good. So that I like Chinese martial art for. I like Chinese martial art for the culture, for the health practice, um, many areas self-defense wise, but yeah, where is it now in the modern world? It's obviously it's lagging behind um, reality-based self-defense, MMA, uh, modern strength conditioning training. These things are rapidly advancing. Whereas the Chinese martial art, it's kind of stayed on one place, but is that a bad thing? Does it need to compete on their terms? Can it just do its own thing? I don't know. Uh, in China mm. now, there's the you've got the wushu, the modern wushu, where they emphasize it as a performance, so it becomes more of a dancing display. Like the you know the emphasis on taiji is like how high you can kick and how low you can. No emphasis on how much power, internal power, or um, so that's not really. It's become something else. It's it's to meet the times it's changed into something else. Uh, maybe it's always done that. Maybe that's just the way it is. Maybe I'm just, my time is <laughs> past and now I'm you know, a dinosaur. I don't know. I just see things like changing all the time. Um, well, like, but I guess you were, you were part of the explosion of MMA. Yeah. You, know, you were there at the time it hit the West, weren't you? 
exactly. So and if that's not going to happen again, I mean, that happens once. Yeah, the uh, genie's out of the so bottle. It's quite good to be like on the ground when it happened, wasn't it? I guess. If you go onto some of the the videos on YouTube of some of our fights, you know the commentators are going, "Oh, they like traditional Chinese martial arts school. Ha ha! They're going to get their butts kicked trying to do the crane or right, yeah. watching us winning and going, oh, oh they've really, yeah, this, they've got some.' <laughs> uh, it was nice to it was nice to change challenge some people's um, uh, yeah preconceptions about what we do. Yeah, trying to incorporate some of the fighting theory and strategy from the hop guy and the Taiji into say the clinch work or into the ground or that was a nice kind of process that was part of my i suppose creative process of bringing that into the modern contemporary times but now i don't know really i don't know i mean that seems like as you say it's done now everyone knows about that mma is no longer seems very attractive because it's it's gone another another way it's not about finding what works in combat anymore that's some other stuff it's it's very um I don't know if, if, if scientific is the right word for it these days, but the, you know, the people train very hard in specific things mm-hmm. um, and get very good at, um, you know, being an all rounder, which is like in the old days, it, it was, was never quite like that. People were more individuals, weren't they? Um, and now like there's a, there's a definite, like you have to have tick these boxes. Yeah. And if you can't tick all these boxes, yeah. There's no, you know, you're not really going to progress anywhere. No. Um, so it's, yeah, no, that's, a, that's a cultural shift on, on every level that's happened. It's not just in martial yeah. art. That's just what's happening in our world at the moment. I mean, certainly for yeah. MMA, you need to be able to, if you can't defend punch, kick, takedown and, and, and grappling, then you're going to lose. So you, you might not need to be a specialist in all areas, but you, you definitely know, have to know how to defend all those areas. Uh, you can be the yeah, world. Yeah. Well, you've seen it in the early MMA. You'd have a, like a really high level boxer like James Tony, and then Randy Couture would do a low single and then a rear naked choke. <laughs> and at the end of it, and it's like, yeah, because you, you can be really specialized, but you need uh, the other stuff needs to be at least to a certain level. So I see like most of my training now is trying to kind of, you know, Pareto principle and trying to figure out, okay, how can we be, be not bad at anything? But then you've got to find your own thing. I, I want to excel in this and someone else might want to excel in that but not at the Mm. expense of being really bad at something so you have to be reasonable at every if you can be reasonable at everything and then good at something that seems to be a a good approach yeah um like you can't be you don't need to be the strongest guy in the in the cage but you can't be weakling you don't need to be the strongest guy but you can't (laughs) slow you know so you you can't be bad at anything can you because then you're instantly found out yeah, you need to be tough. If you get one punch and you get knocked over, it doesn't matter how how fast your kicks are, you know. So that yeah, you can't yeah. be bad at anything. It's a good. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was I was listening to a talk you did um, with the the German guy at Kung Fu. Is it called Kung Fu Talk? Oh, that'd be Frank Frank Bolt, the Hong Kong. Yes, Frank. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and well, I, I thought it was interesting. We're talking about Kung Fu forms and. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned that entertainment has always been part of the, the of the kind of mix of um, mix of Chinese martial arts, yes. and it, it your your comment just completely washed over him. And I thought that was really really interesting because um, I, I I find that a lot with um, Chinese martial arts. Any any mention that this form you're doing might have some aspects to it that are perhaps from a religious ceremony or or where from a street 
entertainment performance. Um, they kind of go, hmm, and, and it's like you haven't said it, and they just they're, they're straight back into, yeah, it's all about applications and fighting. Yeah. And, Again, but I think it's because it's not because these things were assembled. Oh, this is from Peking Opera. This is from shamanism. This is from a street performance. This is from fighting. No, it is organic. That's the difference. It wasn't assembled from all these different things. They, all of these things grew together. That yes. was the culture. So there wasn't a difference in a few hundred years ago in China between a, a Peking Opera and a religious ceremony. And, a, and they, they were really the same thing. Um, people will be educated in, by these things. And the same, yeah. if, if you wanted to pass down a series of principles or movements, you would tell a story about it in the same way as a form is like a, a physical enactment of a story and you're ritualizing it and you're performing it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it is a performance. So there, there, there's always like the, the, the expression they talk about in the Cantonese, the Nansan, the I spirit, the, and so many things which are very common to say Peking opera and things like that. So yeah. People don't want to admit it, but yeah, for sure. It wasn't just fighting. No, Everyone that's wants it. To say now, it's like, oh, we're so practical. Everything's practical. But at the end of the day, what's practical really? If you see someone who's like 85 years old, he's moving really well. He's not in pain. He's mentally happy, enjoying his life, high quality of life. And that's the most practical thing you could possibly wish for, I think. It doesn't have yeah. to be about, oh, if, he doesn't, if he's not fighting off, you know, regularly sparring with people, then it's not not functional what he's doing. So that's yeah, and, and whatever it is you're doing, if if it also can be visually pleasing and entertains a crowd mm. at the same time, why is that a bad thing? I think I think that's a good thing. You know, not to get too kind of uh, uh, mystical, but I think these things are there's different levels, and if you can if you can hit all these things when you do your practice, there's a synergy, there's a harmony, and mm. the one of the reasons why we find these things so inherently fun, for example, play fighting, uh, is because it's the brain's reward system of, yeah, this is the optimal learning thing, right? So it's letting you know, it's like these dopamine releases. It's like saying, yeah, yeah you're yeah. on the right track. Keep doing what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. And, and of course, now in our education, we want to break that down. And kids know, sit still, don't move, and making it terribly dull and rote learning. Whereas kids that now, you know, just get online and do their own research and invent, they end up inventing the new things and moving on. Yeah. It's like a better, it's like a more healthy, more healthy approach. So I think, you know, in the Chinese, you had the Confucianism, which was very much that kind of rigid memorization and studying of all the characters and the classics. And then you had the kind of Taoism, which was much more sort of playful. And then the Buddhism later. And so those kind of three schools sort of, it was like a, uh, there was a tension between them. But yeah, none of them should win, mm. you know, because you could, you can't lose any of those three because that was like the healthy functioning was that was the integration of those three things, much the same way as MMA. You could say, you know, jujitsu, wrestling, and kickboxing or something. You could say there's like three things, and you can't let one just take over the other. There has to be that synergy. So yeah, part of it is and the same thing. The aesthetic of it again is the brain saying, yeah, this is right, this is good. Somebody moves really well. It's like there's an inherent joy about it. There's a feeling of like, oh, that's nice. You know, people will pay to see a great dancer or whatever because they, they, there's something when you see it, you know it and you're, you resonate and you go, oh, that's really good. Maybe you don't even know why. You just know that it's, that it's great and you want to you you do it. So same thing when you practice a martial art form. You've got the history, the culture. There's the shamanic aspect. There's all these different things. And I don't claim to be an expert on any of those things. But when you get it right, there's something that resonates on multiple levels. And I think... 
I say it's kind of zooming in too much to one thing is to the to the detriment of it. So if you make it into a pure performance art, you're losing something. If you make it into a mm. pure fighting art, you're losing something. If you make it into a pure combat sport, you're losing something. But if you want to excel in any of those three areas, then you need to you need to concentrate on them. But I think yeah, stepping back and like taking the, the big picture, uh, there's a lot more going on. You know, spanning not just the fighting arts, but as you said. Uh, you know the performances and the religious practices and there's so ritual much ritual and ritual for sure yeah. um it's it's yeah who knows i mean i'm i'm not you know sitting here as like saying i know i know this stuff but uh, there's a feeling when you practice like some part of your brain yeah. maybe not it's like intuitive isn't it it's intuitive like, yeah when you perform a form like a tai chi form it, mm. it, in a way it's like doing a ritual and afterwards yeah. you feel I don't know if the what, what the right word is, but cleansed. Mm. I mean, after ritual, you're meant to feel sort of cleansed. But there's that there's that sort of um, calm down that you get at the end of a tai chi form, or yeah. that sort of just 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 a good feeling that it yeah. that you've you've generated the good feeling through your efforts. You know, it's it's sort of the the whole kind of doing work, getting results, and having benefits. You know, that kind of there may also be a formula. To, to the classical forms telling a story and you're having enacted the story. It's like when you watch a good movie and then mm. there's the, you know, the, the climax of the movie and then the, the ending of the movie and you feel like you've been on a been on a trip and at the end you feel like certain emotion. And some of the modern forms, which are basically trying to take the active ingredients and say, okay, this is the most important bit and we'll, we'll, we'll simplify it and we'll, we'll, we'll synthesize it. It's kind of like the, the same thing as we do with food, you know, where you take your vitamin pills and your protein shake yeah, or whatever, yeah. but you're not, it's not the same thing as, as sitting down to a meal, a natural meal. There's something yeah. else going on. There's another level of organization going on there. Um, and when you just make it purely into nutrition or purely into flavor or pure or whatever, you're, you're missing the whole picture. So um, I think, although I really like the modern forms, I teach the simplified Taiji to beginners. My Sifu's put some simplified Hapgar sets for beginners. They're a great way of like getting, learning the, the principles and getting the movements. But um, some of the longer and the older sets, they seem to have something, again, maybe it's just like, you know, you give a, a guitar enthusiast, Jimi Hendrix's guitar to play. And then they say, wow, I can, you know, it's got the spirit in it. And then how much of that is placebo and how much of that is just, yeah. it's really hard to say, but when you're doing an old Kung Fu set that you know has been handed down many generations, then there is a, a sense of that about it that that we don't get with the with some of the newer stuff even though they're maybe technically better i mean difficulty of um technique has gone up strength and conditioning has gone up if you see the performances of the modern wushu compared to 20 years ago they're leaping higher spinning around more yeah you know? so the athleticism part of it has gone up but something i don't know if to use the word soul or spirit or whether that's appropriate something's missing something's something's lacking um yeah. yeah and in a way you know i mean we like to think these stars are really old but a lot of them aren't that that old really i mean they go back to victorian times a lot of them but the there is older stuff in chinese culture much older stuff and that is what i think is is filtered down through the kung fu stars we have today that is genuinely old um so yeah. while the star itself might have been named say right. in 1836 you right. know and somebody put it together right. um a name and everything but i mean if you're thinking of the fact that these sequences of movements 
um, were part of something else and may go back way, way, hundreds of years past that. Um, or, or just, or, or they were influenced by things to do with um, ritual religion or entertainment or anything to do with movement. Um, you know, once you start thinking outside of a actual lineage of somebody mm -hmm. taught somebody like a Confucian sort of lineage yeah, yeah. Of like master teacher master teacher yeah. te uh, on a, in, once you get into the idea of ideas can exist as independent entities and mm -hmm. can go back hundreds and hundreds of years it I mean, changes everything yeah it, it changes everything tai chi suddenly becomes ancient because mm -hmm. you know it, it's perhaps passing on something from a long time ago um, well in the kung fu you have the you have the history because some martial artists like um, David Ross in New York, he's a historian. So he's written some really good books where he's gone into like history and uncovering the evidence. And that's one approach, but then you've got the mythology. You've got like the creation myth of Taiji, Chan Sang Fong and the, the, the snake and the crane and Hapgar. We've got the ape and the crane story and these, these creation myths um, from what you're talking about in that sense, I'd say the creation myths are almost this is sacrilegious but almost saying <laughs> these are really true these are true these are more true than the history right because the history <laughs> is just telling us about these specific individuals whereas the creation myths are telling us about this stuff that's been these ideas that have been synthesized over maybe these these things you're right are much much older than than the styles but so in that sense it may be <laughs> it may be true to say oh i learned from an immortal up in the mountain or in a dream and a spirit, <laughs> and a spirit taught me because maybe that is that is the level at which these things actually exist they are they are more sort of uh mm. yeah I'm, I'm treading on dangerous waters but we're heading off into the, the world of uh very very <laughs> dodgy things aren't we but yeah yeah I, I, I and as i get older i I'm, I'm thinking more in those ways where i used to think much 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 more rationally uh, when I was yeah. putting my Kung Fu and Tai Chi together, it was about what's the principle? How does this work? What's the effect? What's the thing that makes it effective? How can I train that more efficiently? So I had that very kind of analytical approach to it. And it worked. I mean, again, for what, what we were trying to do. And it all depends on what, what you're trying to achieve with it. You know, what's your goal? Do you want to be able to fight? Do you want to get into shape? Do you want to do competitions? You know, and then when you know your goal, I know people have got who I highly respect in the martial arts world that have got incredibly different goals like one one of my friends has got this goal of being I'm like functional fighter in all ranges right that you've said that mm. now someone else will say oh it's to pass on the lineage of my grandmaster da 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 see because you start from a totally different goal you have a totally different path and mm. it's not to say one's right or one's wrong but it is wrong in my opinion if you're teaching people claiming to teach self-defense and they're turning up to your school and you're teaching them these esoteric old traditional forms not doing any sparring or conditioning and then yeah. they're, they're thinking that they're learning self-defense that's where i have an issue that's where it's dishonest um but as long as you know what you're doing and where that fits in things then yeah i, I even have a something of an issue with self-defense taught in jiu-jitsu um because we, we we do like you know we'll do, we'll do a self-defense technique uh like you know collar grab mm -hmm. um or or um, like a guillotine or, or standing rear naked choke is quite a, a common one or just or a punch and you slip it and go for a double leg right those sort of self-defensey things when i always think to myself yeah but we're we're on a nice comfy mat <laughs> or or wearing night night geese that you know mm -hmm. and uh and we've got no shoes on like mm -hmm. 
it's not quite the same as it would be, you know, in, for real. So I always take it with a bit of a pinch of salt if we if we if we're teaching stuff like that that it's it, it's it's is it is a level removed from real. Have and, you um are you familiar with Burton Richardson's um, what he calls Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for the street? Have you seen any of his material? No, check it out. Any of it. It's really really good. It's really excellent. Yeah, um, I mean. Because what, if you're into self-defense, I'm not. I'm not yeah. really sure I am into self-defense at all anymore. I think I'm just into having fun. Yeah, I can. I can relate. Making people tap. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I get that, and it's honest. But then the thing, the thing that Burton had said that that, that kind of struck a chord with me was that you have jujitsu as a sport is is evolving because of competition, because people sparring mm. and testing and refining. Whereas the self-defense techniques are the same as they were taught like 60 years ago. Like someone stabs you like that with a knife and you put a standing americana arm lock on them and you're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking i can't do that in five minutes with a guy underneath me what makes me think i can do it in one second with a with a guy with a knife you know it's like there's a, there's a massive disconnect so what burton said was hey let's just spar but add in knives and guns and like multiples and but but it was done in a playful way but let's figure out like the higher percentage and what stuff works and yeah he ended up pressure testing against really good he'd go to a professional mma fighter give them a rubber knife and say just just try and stab me with it or or rubber gun and say don't let me take this off you and then he'd be you know against really good athletes really strong people and then he'd figure it out over he spent decades doing this and his stuff Mm -hmm. is is super practical so i'd say from a a self-defense perspective that's the way to go it's the scientific method is testing refining testing refining whereas the jiu-jitsu classes they they test refine the, the sport side of it but not the not the self-defense side of it no so it's, it's frozen in stone isn't it frozen a, yeah yeah, in yeah, a yeah. Little, it's in a little museum box called alio yeah. gracie exactly and like th- these are what alio gracie taught we shall therefore never we can never improve upon it. In it. So, if, but they, they must believe well. that they, but if you went, took the guys from the early sport jujitsu and put them in a modern competition, they wouldn't last five seconds. So why, no. why the two, why the different mindset? Now my Sifu says this in, 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 in about Gong Fu. Cause a lot of people have this idea about Gong Fu that it's you know, frozen in time. And my Sifu said to me, uh, well, your, your mobile phone, your iPhone, like every year you come, it's better. Right. He goes, why shouldn't Gong Fu be the same? Why shouldn't it be changing for the better every year? Um, mm-hmm. So then it comes down to, well, what do we mean by traditional, you know, what's so even though the, we've got these rituals, these frozen in time for generations, but the there's still the other side, which is the kind of live part of it. The thing that has to keep renewing, yeah. keep testing, keep relevant, keep modern. And so you've got those two forces. It's like in, in traditional Gong Fu, it was like the uh, Tolo and the Sansao. These are like the form and the, and the fighting. Mm. Um, if you take one away, you don't have kung fu. You don't have traditional kung fu anymore. It's a it's a very good point. That uh, I really like the. I hadn't considered that before, but I think you're absolutely right about jujitsu. Is like sports side. Let's innovate. Anything yeah. can happen. It's fine. Yeah. Do whatever you want. You know, invent new stuff. Yeah, bring it on. And then when it comes to the self defense side, it's like, well, this is what Master Radio taught. Why would you would why would you need anything else? Oh, but, you need, yeah, apart from those, that's the same. It's the same person. He's yeah, saying cool. both things. Yeah, and it's the same mindset that Kung Fu was criticised for in the early UFCs. Yeah, like and but ironic. <laughs> it's ironic, yeah, that they've become the traditionalists, if you like, in that sense. Um, but of course, you know, it, the important thing is what you were saying. Oh, you're in a gi and you've got no shoes on. The environment makes a massive 
different. So when you over-specialize, yeah. like the over-speciality of the sport jiu-jitsu now has a lot of techniques that work really well in sport jiu-jitsu, but wouldn't transfer to MMA. So um, because they rely on the person not being able to punch you or, or rely on the grip or whatever it is, there's a certain, once you specialize in a certain environment to a very high level, you get a thing which is not transferable to a different environment. Now, what I was always interested in was what's the core principles, like in jiu-jitsu or in taiji, it's like how we're using our body, how we're balancing, how we're generating power. And those things doesn't matter if you're in a sport or MMA or street fight, those things aren't going to change. And so those are like the core of your practice. And then you're trying to find as many creative ways of expressing those and flexible and, you know, making it fit the timing and so on, but you can't. So on one level, it's about, yeah, being creative and, and, and adapting, but then you can't over-specialize because now you're, now you're going somewhere that doesn't transfer into, into the other environments. Yeah, and unless you are well aware of that. I mean, I'm well aware that I over-specialize in jiu-jitsu and I'm, I'm quite happy with that um, because it's just, it's, it's my, it's the thing I do, you know? Then, I, 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 go, I go to the gym every day and uh, fight some guys using incredibly technical moves that wouldn't work on the street. And I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> there's no problem then. There's no. No problem then. <laughs> I mean, I, I started to go that way a little bit with the Taiji push hands. I was realizing that I was developing mm. skills that couldn't, I couldn't then teach in my MMA class because they were over-specialized. So I, yeah. I used yeah. MMA as my kind of testing ground. Like, and even we did it with, um, with the weapons, you know, we'd use padded weapons and put helmets on and try to test everything. It's like mm. um, the idea being that, if it was right, it should be able to transcend the, the rule set. You know, you should be able to make it work wherever. Um, and, but yeah. then that's also only half the story. What you're saying is super valid. It's like, no, I want to enjoy this practice. I want to get good <laughs> at this practice. And I don't really yeah. mind if it's to the detriment of something else because it's, it's not your whole life. You're not training to go out and go into street fights and stuff. So, um, no, I mean, I've, I've never got into a fight in my life. Right. So why why do I why why should I spend all my life um like training? I mean you could say you should just spend all your life training for that one moment that might save your life, but it, it just seems like a huge investment in something that's really unlikely to happen to me. <laughs> I agree. I agree, but I couldn't I it's about knowing yourself, right? And I couldn't get away from that feeling that I'm doing martial arts. I need to feel like I could could make this work. I I need to I don't want to be going doing a performance that I then don't feel I could understand. And, and it fit, it fed back into it, even though now I'm not fighting anymore. Um, when I do my sets, I have the experience of all of the grappling, all of the kickboxing, all of the wrestling, all of this weapon sparring, all the stuff that I've done over the years that when, then when I'm doing my form, um, I'm not a street fighter or something like that. I'm not making a claim about that, but I can, I can have a much more of a sense of like what my opponent's doing, how, how it feels. And then when I, express the movement it feels like it's coming from my own experience rather than just copying my sifu and that that was the biggest jump for me that's why i'm so glad i did the mma stuff not because i had any ambition as an mma fighter but because it made the difference between um internal reference based on my experience and just copying my teacher so yeah as again that's just a personal personal choice but yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've had lots of fights in martial arts, like mm. sparring sessions, mm. <laughs> but mm. never, never, um, never really, I've never really like you know got into it with someone outside of a class, you know. 
Uh, I think I, I think that's because I'm, I'm I'm quite good at just talking to people in a way that is non-threatening and talking talking down situations that any situations that might have occurred. Mm. Um, but I think just naturally, just naturally, I'm quite a sociable person, and mm. it's, it's, I think it's quite hard to have a fight with me. Like you'd have to really want to. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Wouldn't just say, "What are you looking at?" <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. What are you looking at then? <laughs> well, some, you know, it's like I, I know people that are like that. Yeah, and, I and do. They, they, they say things like that, you know, all the time. I know. And uh, just you know. ego, ego thing. Yeah, so I yeah. don't, I don't mean to imply that to overemphasize the fighting aspect like this, but the movements when you're punching, kicking, grappling, or throwing, when you're doing the movements, they have to relate to something. Otherwise, you're just doing empty gestures. So I think it's oh, important. Yeah. Even when I teach Taiji students, even an older group that aren't interested in self-defense or fighting, I'll still show them how the moves work because you need, you know, even the, the principle of the, the chi follows the intent, right? So even if you're just practicing for health, if you don't have an intention when you do the movement, you don't have a feeling like, oh, this is parrying and then this is striking and, and, and putting your feeling into your hands, then you're not even going to get the health benefits of it. So I think there's a good uh, reason to teach fighting, but not to over you know, overemphasize it or make it that that's the, the solution to all the world's problems or something like that. Um, yeah. But I do, I do make the distinction between the sort of the Buddhist idea of non-violence with the sort of a, what's the extreme of pacifism or something like that. Whereas it's like, it's yeah, not yeah. about, it's not pacifism. It's not about just you know, not fighting ever, but it's about non-violence. It's about using the minimum necessary force. That's why jujitsu is so beautiful because you can, you can genuinely subdue someone without hurting them using jujitsu. So that's a, a really beautiful thing you know the rear naked choke is about the most humane way of ending a fight <laughs> it's really yeah nice. I mean, just, like, go, just go to sleep now yeah I mean, you can't gently, say that about sal choy yeah. can you you know no guy like one cup choy on somebody and then they're down and then they're not they're not having a good yeah and it doesn't look very good on a, a video recording of you belting right. somebody as opposed to yeah. you just giving someone a hug and then they went quiet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really like that i really like that it gives you that good um you can choose your your level of response. I think that's really good. Yeah, I mean, I think jujitsu is the only art I've ever met or known where I can, I can, if somebody was crazy, like mentally had mental problems and was going crazy and attacking people, mm-hmm. I could put them to sleep without hurting them. Exactly. Yeah, and I could genuinely, I could genuinely do it. Because if if all I had was kung fu, mm. I'd I'd have to hurt them. You know, there's. I don't have anything else really. Maybe, maybe I, I could, I could do a few takedowns and just hold them down. But, but with jujitsu, you just sort of know you can. You know, there's no, there's, there's no, there's no sort of doubt because you, you've done it a million times and it works. Exactly. And people who are hundred percent trying to get up. You exactly. Know. Yeah, there's something really, really honest about that, isn't there? And and the real confidence. Whereas people that only pretend, and then they still have internally, they might know some punches and kicks, but they internally have to prove themselves all the time so they're, they're always looking you know for that external validation whereas if you've really done it inspiring and you know you just know there's no doubt in your mind if i want to make this person go to sleep i can then that's a whole yeah. different then you can be very diplomatic and you're not ego triggered you can talk the guy down and you because you, in your brain you're going well if the worst comes to the worst i got this um that's very different from someone that's scared and just reacting out of out of fear and uh, yeah because they yeah the the prospect of them getting it wrong is so is so bad yeah it's so catastrophic for them they, they, you know that they have yeah. to almost go in first and 
destroy yeah. them before they destroy you. Yeah, yeah, because they, it, it would, they'd have to question their and go away and rethink their life, wouldn't they? If they got it <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if they got knocked out by yeah by the bad guy. Yeah, so I, I read something recently actually that was very pertinent, which was when weapons are involved and like even with all that martial art training. If someone's holding a knife to me saying, I want your phone, then mm. you're having my phone. It's yours. Mm. Just take it, you know. Mm. Um, and I read a, a, a report recently of a, a jiu-jitsu guy in Croydon just coming home on the train, probably from class. Mm-hmm. And a couple of guys rocked up with a knife and said, right, give me your phone. And he he said the, the best thing about jiu-jitsu was it kept him calm. You okay. know, he didn't panic. He was calm handed over the phone and the whole thing, they, they took the phone and went off. Um, right. And he didn't get stabbed. So, That's you perfect. know, <laughs> yeah. But it, it just makes you think that um, even with all that martial art training, that that's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's not, it's not to not to go and try and fight them when they've got a knife and there's two of them, because no. it probably won't, even with jujitsu or whatever, you know, two people, you can't, you can't do anything no. really. No, one no. of them holds you down, the other one stabs you. I mean, you, you've had it. <laughs> What, what you find with 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 sparring like we, we did a i don't know how many hundreds of hours i've done like knife defense sparring um and what you find is when you first start you, you die like 99 percent of the time and then with with a lot of training and a lot of practice you maybe die 50 percent of the time so yeah you never come <laughs> away with the sparring you never come away with a full sense of confidence that if you just learn the movements in self-defense class you might think okay if he does that i'm going to do this because it's like i've tried it sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and it's better to know it than not to know it because it increases your odds so i wouldn't say to people oh learning knife defense is a waste of time because there are some uh, i had a student that was attacked with a knife and used it successfully so mm. it saved his life and there are some methods work better than others and the, the only way you know is to test it, is to pressure test it. And um, so it's worth it's worth learning it. But yeah, but because you're keeping it honest, I would do the same thing. Here's my phone. I would, I would certainly do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's just a phone, isn't it? <laughs> it's just a phone. Yeah, you can can be replaced, whereas, you know, you get stabbed and it's it's more serious. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean, having said that, there are some methods that are just empirically better than others. And they're still teaching stuff out there, which is just empirically not good. And mm. because people aren't sparring and testing it, how do you know what the good methods are compared to the bad methods? And so again, if you're teaching that stuff in a class, I think as an instructor, you have a responsibility to make sure that what you're teaching uh, is at least the most effective it can be, but there's no foolproof method of empty hand against a knife. I mean, the first thing you're gonna do is run or give to your phone. And then the next thing is pick up a weapon, um, and then like the, going hand to hand is like the last resort. But even then there's, there's still some, some, some methods that just work better than others. And yeah. you have to be honest with your students and you have to say like, this isn't foolproof, but you know, let's spar, let's test it. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah. Some of the stuff works, works very well. As I say, um, my, my, my friend Burton, Burton Richardson material was very good for that for knife defense. I learned from him in Hawaii and I bought it back and to my classes and we started testing it that was about 15 years ago and still the stuff that i teach now is based on those kind of principles that seem to seem to work Burton, well. was that the guy you talked about before yeah yeah jikundo unlimited is his is his uh, right yeah so it's you know simple stuff like all the good look all the best stuff it's simple but um it works it works very well 
Um, so yeah, all our the knife defense stuff that I taught was based on that. I mean, I know when I very early on when I started training, I was like 14 and we did the knife defenses, and there was a big deal made about the fact that you know, when you did your grading, they, they used the real knife, and it was like mm. and and then when you get there, <laughs> and uh, I was just a teenager when I did the sort of the black belt tests and everything, and it was like it was a big deal made of it. But when you're the one holding, you realize that you're facing someone who's your friend, you're trying mm. not to hurt them. So it's less realistic. If you take someone that's untrained, you give them a, a spongy knife, a rubber knife or a padded knife and just say, just go hard and fast as you can. Cause he knows he's not really going to stab you because he's not going to hurt you. He's going to go for it. And now you'll suddenly find that all the stuff you learn doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> you'll get stabbed a million times and you go, Oh, rethink. Um, yeah. And so the stuff that, that Burton taught is stuff that actually does work in that where you say, right, come at me. And, and it, yeah, it's it's fairly fairly dependable. There's no foolproof, but it, it works pretty well. So it's like the mm. old what the dog brothers used to call die less often, right? Um, it's like <laughs> if you train this, you'll die less often, <laughs> which is good. Which is yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's like um, a seatbelt in your car. You know, you don't want to go in a car crash. You don't say, "Oh, I'm never planning on getting in a car crash, so I'm not going to put my seatbelt on." No, you put it on. You know, it will improve your chances, but you also know that you can still die in a car crash. So it's just a part of it. It's like martial art is a big, big study. Mm. Some parts we do as like insurance for our health, for our body, for self-defense. There's all kinds of things, but it's, yeah, it's a mistake to over-rely on any one thing. I think. Absolutely. Well, we've probably been chatting for about an hour. So okay. um, you're probably, that was really fun. Thank you very much. I no, really enjoyed you. that. Um, so if people want to find out more about you or, get involved in anything you're doing right. what sort of uh, resources have you got my website risingcrane.co.uk um, and you can see my online academy i've got some free courses as well if anyone wants to do those as a uh, qigong course and a gong fu course completely free and then i have an academy which i only intake once a year so you have to wait now for the next intake but um that makes it more it makes it better though it's more traditional <laughs> yeah exactly but it enables me to to teach people on a more individual basis give feedback right. and so on so it's kind of it's it's more like being in a school even though it's done online um but i've also got some courses available uh, again you can find them all on the on the website there's a youtube channel but all the links are on the website um facebook groups and so on so i'm you know i'm still out there and fairly active and uh still teaching so if anyone wants to get in touch or is thinking of learning hubgar or taiji i'm not i'm not coaching mma at this at this time because i don't have a facilities or the uh, or the school to do that but uh but we just need to get a load of students to persuade you to start teaching again don't we well it's it's starting to happen and, and i'm just like oh, maybe maybe <laughs> i am getting the bug because i missed that i missed that interaction where are but, you based now is it wales i'm in wales at the moment but what i what i don't want to do is start up something and then china opens and then i leave all my students in the lurch for six months or something like that I, yeah, yeah i don't think that would be fair on people so it's yeah. it's online for the time being until i have more of a sense of you know what's going on um and then post post travel so i i may well start something here or elsewhere i don't know i'm open i'm just seeing which which way yeah. the wind blows at the moment oh brilliant well well maybe i'll i'll catch up with you at some point if you're that would be nice where are you based? doing a workshop um i'm in bristol it's not far no which bit oh. well south or north south it's just an hour south. Oh, i'm cardiff, far, though, cardiff yeah, yeah. Oh, Cardiff is just over the road. Exactly. <laughs> over the bridge, essentially, oh, isn't maybe it? We'll, maybe we'll meet up and train sometime. Yeah, you can show me this um, 
Burton Richardson um, knife defense stuff. Sounds interesting. Check it out. He's got some YouTube videos as well. Check it out. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, thank Bye. you very much, David. You're very I welcome. I should talk to you. Yeah, you too.